Well, y'all, we've been doing a study on having a healthy church. Okay? Having a healthy church. There's a lot of churches, but we want to be a healthy church. And the church is the body of Christ. Jesus Christ Himself is the head of His church. So everything falls under Him. We get our strength from the Lord. We get our life from the Lord. We get our direction and guidance from the Lord and from His Word. And, and uh, we're just the branch that's in the vine. Amen? Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. But He also describes His church as being a body. So we've got fingers and toes and, and, and different parts of the body, eyes and ears and nose. But it's one body made of many members. And the head of that body is Jesus Christ. It has to be. We want to be a church that is like Jesus, that's like the Lord, that has His Spirit in us, His life in us, His love in us. And we've already we're going through a series every Sunday morning. We're talking about having a healthy church. The first sermon we covered a few weeks back is that Christ has to be that foundation. He has to be the the rock upon which that church is built. Because people and men can build churches on different things, even some Christian ideals. But it has to be Christ Himself. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. And it says that He's building the building. It's all framed together, built by the Lord. And we are living stones. It says in, in 1 Peter, as we're living stones built up into a spiritual house or a habitation for God. So every person that's truly born again, not everybody that's sitting in a pew necessarily, but everybody that's born again is part of Christ's church. And so that's, the Holy Ghost lives in us, and that is a building, a spiritual building, if you want to picture it that way, and a body. And that building is being built together, and the Lord knows how to build His church. He said and that to Peter, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, speaking of Peter's profession of faith, I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it or not overcome it. A healthy church has to be built upon Jesus Christ and Him alone. The rock of our salvation. All other ground is sinking, sinking sand, right? Your life has to be built upon a, a relationship with Jesus as Savior and Lord. And your church, this church and every church of the Lord around this planet, has to be built upon Jesus Christ and Him alone. Secondly, we talked about if a church is going to be healthy, it has to be biblical. It has to be doctrinal. Not just using the Bible as we will to, uh, to build our doctrines, but using the Bible as God has given it. Being led by the Holy Spirit, rightly dividing the Word from Genesis to Revelation. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, for rebuke and correction and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect. That means complete. Thoroughly furnished unto every good work. And so our church has to be built upon Jesus and it has to be foundational uh, that, the, that the doctrine is solid and right. Because that doctrine speaks of the Lord. Jesus even said, my doctrine is not my own, it's my Father's. So think about how important that is to the Lord. You know, we can't just mix and mingle and overemphasize and de-emphasize and get our, you know, pervert it and twist it and try to make it sound like we want it to sound. We need to be led by the Holy Ghost. He's the Spirit of truth. And He'll lead us into all truth doctrinally. And last week, we talked about that fact. The third sermon in this series of a healthy church is that if a church is going to be healthy and strong, 
It has to be led by the Holy Spirit. It has to be a Spirit-led church. It has to be led by... He's the Good Shepherd, right? The Lord is our Good Shepherd. And we need to be led by the Lord in the things that we do. In the decisions we make. We cannot live this... Do church, so to speak, the way that the world says we should do church. We can't do church the way maybe the Christian world says we should do church. We have to be led by the Lord. Because trends come and go, even within Christianity, uh, different styles of music and preaching and dress. And, and well, we're going to stop doing talking so much about the blood because that offends people. We're going to leave that out. You can't do that. If we're going to be a healthy church, we have to be led by the Holy Spirit. A Spirit-led church that will stay with the Lord, be hear from the Good Shepherd, and walk as He directs us. And the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. They're not ordered by what's popular in the church world or in society. And so what we're talking about today is going to, we'll pick up on our fourth, fourth part. And I'm going to quote this. You know the, the Scripture. But in Luke 18, the Bible says, And the Lord spake a parable unto them to this end, or for this purpose, that men ought always to what? Pray and not to faint. He spoke a parable unto them to this end or for this purpose that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And we have to be a people, if we're going to be a healthy church and a strong church, we have to be a people of prayer. That's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the Sunday school teacher or the missionary or the youth leader. That prayer is for the life of the believer. Okay? And if we're strong in prayer, this church will be strong in prayer. Our prayer meetings on Sunday night are not an extra little something we throw in for people that would like to come. It's, it's a huge part. It's an essential part of our church. The time that we spend together and pray. But when the, when the Lord says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That word faint means to lose heart. To become discouraged. At any point in your life, have you ever lost heart before or become discouraged? I have. But we can't stay there. When we get discouraged, there is encouragement in the Lord. Okay? Encouragement means literally to put courage into. Barnabas' nickname. Barnabas, who is a a co-worker with Paul, the Apostle Paul, was son of consolation or son, son of comfort. He was known for putting courage into people. Okay, and encouraging people in the Lord. We don't want to become, especially when it comes to our prayer life, we don't want to become uh, faint. We, we don't want to faint. Not to faint. And it says in Galatians, let us, uh, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Okay? A lot of times you're plugging along. You're plowing along. You're working in a... And a, a farmer would work in the field. He's, he's working hard. It's hot. He's working under hard conditions. But he's not going to get fruit 30 seconds from now. He's probably not going to get fruit at the end of this work day. But he knows that in due season he's going to reap if he doesn't faint. And that's the same for our walk with the Lord. You might have been praying a really long time about something and not seen the answer yet. And so let's, let's bring that back down to prayer. That, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Don't lose heart. Don't use the fact that you have prayed and had, as, as of yet, you haven't seen an answer to that prayer. Don't use that as an excuse to stop praying. 
Okay? You know what it means to me? It means I'm a day closer than I was yesterday to receiving what I've been praying for. How many of you have lost loved ones that you've been praying for? Maybe for 10 years, 15 years or more, 20, 30 years. You've been praying uh, for, for a lost loved one to come to know Christ. And as of this morning, as far as you know and I know, they haven't come to Christ yet. But does that mean we should quit praying for them? No, we need to keep praying. You remember when Elijah, the prophet, had called down fire from heaven, and then he he uh, he went out, and that that was like the the judgment of God. There was no rain for three and a half years, and he addressed the prophets of Baal. They failed. They couldn't call down fire from uh, uh, Baal because Baal is not a real god. He couldn't answer them with fire, but but the Lord answered by fire, the real God, and so. They killed those prophets of Baal, and Elijah takes his servant and he goes to Mount Carmel. And he gets up on the top of that mountain and he begins to pray because it's been three and a half years with no rain, but God's ready to send the rain. So think about it God's already ready to send the rain. He told him to go pray for rain. He could have just sent it. Send it. Why did he have to tell the man to go pray for rain? You already know I want to send it. Okay? But he wanted him to pray. And that is that way for a lot of things in our life. And you've heard the arguments, well, if God's going to do what He wants to do anyway, why do I need to pray about it? He's going to do what He wants to do anyway. Because you know why? Because He told us to pray. Because He chooses to answer prayer. That's His choice. He chooses to have that relationship where people call and He answers. He wants that. Now, He's not going to answer something that's out of His will, but He does want us to pray according to His will. And He chooses in response to the believer's prayer to answer. Sometimes we have to wait a long time. <coughs> but Elijah put his head between his knees. He sat on that mount overlooking the sea and he prayed for rain because he knew God was ready to send the rain after three and a half years of drought. And he prayed one time and he looked up. He said, servant, go check out and see if you see anything. Any clouds on the horizon? Nothing. He didn't say, well... I guess that's it. I prayed. I've done my duty. He put his head between his knees and prayed again. We know the story seven times. Seven times. I think if it had been 7,000 that God required, Elijah would have done it. Okay? But for whatever reason, it was seven times. And when he looked up there, the servant comes back the seven times. I said, said, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah goes, that's it. We better get down out of here. The rain's coming. And, and before they could get down off the mountain, there was just this downpour of rain. The, the point is that don't faint when you have prayed a long time and have not seen the answer to prayer. That does not mean you quit praying. If you know it's God's will, and for example, we're talking about lost loved ones. The Bible says He's not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. Paul tells Timothy, who speaking about the Lord, He will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now they have a free choice and a free will. Men do. So they're not all going to be saved. But the Lord wants them to be saved. So that tells me that is praying according to His will. I'm going to keep praying for my brother that's lost. you understand what I'm saying? Because I know it's God's will. Don't be discouraged and give up hope and stop praying. And the Bible goes on to say in that parable we started with, where Jesus gave the parable that was of the unjust judge. You know the story? We're just for time's sake, because there's so much I want to get into, we're not going to read it. But that parable about prayer, he said there's a there's in a certain city there was a judge. He didn't fear God, so he wasn't a godly man. 
He didn't regard people. He could care less about people. All right, but he's a judge. Aren't you glad we have a better judge than that? Okay? But this widow woman comes and she wants something from the judge. Judge, give me this. And the judge, though he didn't fear God or regard people, he said, this widow, I can tell what kind of woman she is. She is going to be a bulldog. She is not going to let me rest. And she's going to wear me out. So I'm going to give her what she wants, even though I don't fear God and don't really care about this woman. I'm going to give her what she wants, lest by her continual coming she wearies me. And then the Lord says, hear what the unjust judge said. Alright, now we jump from a judge to God. Shall not God avenge His own elect, though they cry to Him day and night, though they bear, He bear along with them? I tell you, He will avenge them speedily. So that's telling me that if an unjust judge will give... Somebody's praying to them, basically, for something. That unjust judge will give that woman what she wants. And he says, hear what the unjust judge said. Shall not God, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, shall not that God avenge His elect, though He bears long with them? They're crying to Him day and night. You know what crying to Him day and night is? Prayer. They're calling upon the Lord. Lord, heal me. Lord, I need this. Save my son. Lord, help me. Lord, bring revival to our country. Lord, they're crying out to the Lord day and night. I tell you, He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall He find faith on the earth. To me, I believe that's speaking about the characteristic of the age. That as we get closer to the return of the Lord, there are going to be people falling away from the faith and there are going to be people that lose heart and faint and they don't continue to be persistent in prayer. And we need, to, we need to lay hold. We need to lay hold and don't let unanswered prayers stop you from praying. Okay? So if we're going to be a healthy church, we have to be a praying church. Now I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is in the garden the night of His arrest. He's going to be crucified the next day. We're going to read this same account from a few different Gospels. But we're going to start in Matthew 26. And we're going to read a long passage here from 31 to 46. 26, 31. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples, then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go yon and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, it is, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, 
but as thou wilt. And he cometh again unto his disciples and findeth them asleep, and said unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass except for me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh his disciples, he to his disciples, and said unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest, because the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he that is he is at hand that doth betray me. What I see from this passage, there's so many passages in the Bible we could talk about for prayer, okay? Plenty of them. But I do see this from this passage, is that the Lord Jesus, in His hour of temptation, in His moment when He was uh, the darkest moment in His earthly life, right before He was going to go to the cross, knowing all that immediately was going to happen to Him, He prayed. I know this sounds simple, but He was found praying, right? And He told His disciples, you watch and you pray that you don't enter into temptation. He led by example the importance of prayer. We see prayer all through our Lord's life, but we see it here in this crucial moment. When they came and arrested Him, He was praying. Okay? That's, he knew they were coming. The last thing He was doing was not preaching a sermon. The last thing He was doing before they arrested Him was praying. And He was telling His disciples, you pray, and you watch. That means be on guard. Be alert. Lest you enter into temptation. Prayer, one man of God says, is the privilege of sons and the test of being a son. The privilege of sons. It's our privilege to pray, right? And the test of sonship. It's a test or proof that you belong to the Lord. Because real Christians are going to pray. They're going to call upon the Lord. And I've heard it said before, a hypocrite will never pray in private. They pray in public because they want people to hear them. But hypocrites are not going to get behind closed doors and, and be an intercessor and begin beseeching God and calling out to God when nobody sees what's going on. A real man or woman of God is going to do that. And so uh, I want to uh, give another scripture. Prayer, I mean, another quote from Samuel Chadwick. Prayer is the highest energy of which the human heart is capable and the greatest achievement of the Christian's warfare on earth. Think about that. These are lofty things being spoken of about prayer. And Jesus Himself says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. It's the highest energy a human heart is capable of and the greatest achievement of the Christian's warfare on earth. Satan wants to keep you from praying. Do you know that? You want to go pray and your TV, favorite TV show is coming on right now. Or a football game's about to kick off. But God's calling you away to pray. Satan will use even good things to keep us from praying. We need to be men and women of prayer. It needs to be part of the discipline of our lives. It's not sheer discipline. It's not just work. But it, there has to be discipline involved to get to a place where we are habitual prayers. Where we are as part of my life every day, every day that I'm a, I'm a person of prayer. And God makes us that. And He helps us to do that. And so, uh, turn over to Luke. I'm going to read a little bit more of this same account. 
from a different gospel. Luke 22. Luke 22, 31 and 32, and then we'll skip down. And the Lord said, this is before they're going to pray in the garden. The Lord said, Simon, that's Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. The Lord is saying, Say, uh, Peter, the devil wants you. He wants to have you. The Lord knows everything. He knew Satan specifically was coming with some extra strong attacks against Peter. He's the desire to have you that he may sift you as wheat. That means to riddle like with bullet holes. To riddle your faith. He wants to wreck your faith. He wants to wreck your world. Okay? But the Lord said, what has the Jesus done for him? But I've prayed for you. So prayer. He's stressing it. Now skip down um, to verse 39. And he came out and went. And as he went into the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him, and he was, and when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that you not, enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed. And he gives the same scenario, okay? About, and he's sweating, uh, as it were, drops of blood. In verse 45, when he rose up from prayer and was come to the disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. What is he saying here? Of all the things that the Lord could have told him, there's a lot of things Jesus could have told his disciples when he was going to be with them the last few minutes of his earthly life. Now, I know he was going to leave and send the Holy Spirit to be our comforter and to be their comforter. But his last few breaths on this life with those men, he said, pray, pray, pray. Your faith is going to be challenged. Satan is after you. Satan wants to get you. Not only pray for me. Couldn't you watch him pray for me? Pray that you don't enter into temptation. So if our Lord in his greatest time of trial on this earth resorted to prayer, to fervent prayer, and he is telling us the same thing. He could have told him a lot of things. He could have said, um, you know, I'm getting ready to go away and, and you're going to be confused. You're going to be scattered. Uh, all that's you're going to be afraid. All right. He could have told him, make sure you have an extra Bible study or make sure. And, and he does stress the, the, the study of the word. OK, he could have said, make sure that you love one another. And he did stress that to him at different times. But at this moment, the last thing he's telling them is you watch and you pray. You watch and you pray that you don't enter into temptation. Uh, watch and pray, he says, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak, it says in Mark. Now I want to look at a couple of scriptures here. And we're going to talk, this is, this is what we're talking about today. The rest of this message, the importance of prayer. We could teach months and months on prayer, Okay. And maybe we will at some point. But right now in our series on having a healthy church, this is what God's given me for today. I'm going I'm to uh, turn to some passages very quickly. We're going to Acts 10. And I just want us to see in the Bible 
how God responds to prayer, how He respects prayer, how He answers prayer. Here's a lost man. In Acts chapter 10, there's a lost man named Cornelius. Didn't know the Lord, but he feared God. He knew there was this God. He believed that the God of the Hebrews was God. We didn't have a relationship with him. But he prayed and he gave money to the Jewish synagogue. He wasn't even a Jewish man. There was a certain centurion, it says in verse chapter 10, verse 1, in Caesarea. So he's a soldier. He's an officer. A centurion of the band called the Italian. Let's look at verse 3. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And while he looked on him, he was afraid. So he's praying, and in a vision he sees an angel, and he's afraid. And he says unto him, uh, What is it, Lord? And he said, the angel said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. What is he saying? Here's the Lord responding even to a lost man, saying, you've been praying. You don't know me, but you've been praying to me. And I want you to know me. And I want you to know me through faith in my son, Jesus Christ, the only way that a man can be born again. And so I've got this plan. He tells him to go meet a man named Simon, who's Peter, who lives by the sea. And he tells Peter at the same time, there's going to be a, a man coming in here. And I want, you know, that, I mean, man, I want you to go uh, to his house and tell him about me. Okay. And Peter goes to Cornelius's house. Let's look at another in, in Acts chapter nine. Just turn back one chapter. Here's Saul of Tarsus. And we know his story. He's going to persecute Christians in Damascus. And the Lord blinds him and knocks him off his horse. And the Lord tells him, you go on into some, uh, Syria and Damascus and you wait. Saul's still blind, okay? Just talk to the Lord. He can't see. Three days without food and water. And, but look at the description that the Lord gives. God begins to speak to a Christian in Damascus named Ananias. Verse 10. There was a certain disciple of Damascus named uh, Ananias. To him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. What does it say about Saul of Tarsus? For behold, he prayeth. He's praying. He's there and he's praying. Now that sounds like something little. We would just read over it real quickly real quickly, and not think much about it. But Samuel Chadwick, in the book I was reading about prayer, says it would seem as though the biggest thing in God's universe is a man who's praying. He points that out. Hey, my man over here is praying. Ananias was like, I don't know, I heard about him. He persecutes Christians. The Lord says, go, go your way and do what I've told you. Behold, he's praying. He's praying. That's what Christians do, amen? That's what people of God do. Go. It's okay. He's over there praying. And, uh, and, and Chadwick makes this remark, Samuel Chadwick, because it, it seems like that would be the biggest thing in God. To, to God, it seems as though the biggest thing in His universe is that a man prays. But he goes, there's only one thing more amazing that man, knowing this fact, should not pray. Knowing that it's big to the Lord. Knowing the importance of it. It's amazing that men wouldn't pray. <coughs> and we know that. But everybody doesn't pray. And everybody doesn't have a consistent prayer life. A couple of more scriptures just real quickly. Look quickly, the Bible talks about the prayer of the saints in Revelation chapter 5. I'll just read it. Verse 8. 
And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps of, and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. That those prayers that came up, uh, Cornelius is, for example, that came up as a, as a memorial before the Lord. They rise to the Lord. Like our, our prayers, like incense, it rises to the Lord. And I'm not trying to be super mystical or anything like that, but He hears. It's a sweet fragrance to the Lord. When you're crying in bitterness of soul and praying for something that touches God's heart, it matters to Him. It's the fragrance of an aroma to the Lord. And He's like He saves us in this bottle. And there's this perfume in heaven of the prayers of the saints. It's an amazing thing. One more I want to look at. We all know the story of Hannah in the Old Testament. Samuel's mother. Well, Hannah was married to Elkanah. He was one of, she was one of two wives. The other wife of, of Elkanah had children, but the Lord had shut up uh, Hannah's womb. She didn't have children. She wanted a child, and she was barren, but she believed God. And she went and prayed in the tabernacle when everybody else had finished eating and everything. She kind of excused herself, and she went to the tabernacle. And I just want to read this. If you're taking notes, it's 1 Samuel chapter 1. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Now that's really praying. I'm not telling you you have to cry in your prayer, but this was the condition of her heart and she poured it out to God. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and forget not thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head. That was a sign of like a, a, a priest or Nazarite that would be separated unto the Lord. The Bible says, wherefore it came to pass, I'm skipping down a few verses, it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, she bare a son and called his name Samuel. Saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. That's what Samuel means, asked of the Lord. I prayed. But how did she pray? She was in bitterness of soul. And she prayed to the Lord. And uh, she prayed out of a deep, heartfelt need. And, and Ian Bounds, who I've quoted before, wrote a wonderful book on prayer. He, he talks about prayerless praying. And I want to talk about it for just a second. Prayerless praying. And I think we can grasp what it means. How much of prayer there is at this time which is not real praying, but a mere shell, mere words. It goes nowhere. It avails nothing. It brings no returns from heaven. In fact, none are expected. Wow, you think about that. How much, and I believe that, how much even my own life, how much do we pray without with prayerless praying? We're saying words. We're saying words, maybe because it's the right time to pray and people are listening. I need to say a prayer right now. How much of our prayer life is prayerless praying? Where there's not really the unction of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Lord. It's not really coming from our heart. That's why I was thinking about Hannah. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord. That's how she prayed. And God responded and gave her a son. Okay? And, and it's just... Uh, we don't want to be that way. I don't want to be that way. It's convicting to me how much of my prayer life may be prayerless praying. I don't want to be that way. I pray that God will move us on. Amen? That we'll consider these things and move on. But 
I'm going to move on right here. Prayer is needful. It's essential for the people of God. And it's essential for the church of God. It has to be. And y'all, there's not a substitute for it. How many of you know that? Prayer is not easy. Do you know that? Prayer is not easy. Prayer can be one of the hardest things that we do. Is nothing. I've said it before. There's nothing gratifying to the flesh. Even singing songs... You get some warm, fuzzy feeling and you like the songs and you like the music and you can get into it a little bit. Nothing wrong with that. Prayer is you and God and there's nothing that satisfies the flesh but that spirit man's being edified. And that's why it's so needful and so important. But it's hard. And y'all, there's not a substitute for it in the Christian's life. You can't find something, well, I don't pray a lot, but I make up with it for it by this. You can't. You can't. We have to be people of prayer. And so, uh, the answer to prayerlessness is prayer. That's the answer to it. Alright? And so we can't say, well, you know what? I don't, I'm not really good at praying. I have a tough time praying. I don't really have a prayer life. But uh, I go to Bible study. And maybe I'll add a, another Bible study to go to every week. Or I'll go to another church fellowship. And I'm going to put on my Christian CD and listen to Christian worship music. Or I'm going to listen to sermons online all day. All those things are wonderful. They will not take the place of you praying to the Lord. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. And so Satan wants to attack that and keep us from it. Nothing is done well. And that's a key word without prayer. A lot of things can get done without prayer, but nothing is done in the kingdom of God, okay, for his sake and in this church. Nothing is done well without praying. So we need to remember that. It's not that this church needs to run off to do a mission trip, although we need to do missions. It's that we need to be on our faces before the Lord in prayer and let Him tell us where to go on a mission trip and let Him provide the finances for that mission trip and birth that whole thing in prayer. Then you're going to have success. It's going to be what God wants it to be. Nothing is done well without prayer. I'll just share a real quick testimony. I remember the Lord convicting me of this about uh, right after Dee and I got married and before uh, we were in full-time ministry, we were, we were serving the Lord, but uh, I had a job and I was doing some little bookkeeping work at a health club. And so I'd sit back in this little room about like this by myself all day uh, doing entering payments, people paying their health care club dues, all right? And I'm entering it on the computer. Oh, and so-and-so's late. I got to do, you know, enter whatever. And uh, and I would listen to, because I was by myself, I have a radio on. I would listen to Christian radio all day. Uh, Charles Stanley and, and uh, J. Vernon McGee and different people on the radio all day long. And, and they would listen to a great series on prayer. And the Lord convicted me pretty soon, not that it was wrong to do that, but when I would get home at the end of the day and maybe tired and just wanted to turn on the TV or go exercise and do something else, and the Lord says, just because you listen to sermons on prayer don't make mean that you pray. Just because you learn to uh, listen to a whole series on prayer doesn't make you a man of prayer. You need to pray. You need to take what those pastors were talking about. You need to pray. And God dealt with me about that and uh, you know, did a work in, in my prayer life. And so... Uh, if we are going to be what God's called us to be and exercise any type of spiritual authority in this life, and I mean like over sickness, over the attacks of the enemy, 
over the God of this world, over your own discouragement, and to walk in any kind of authority, God-given authority, right, that He's given us. If we're going to walk in that, then we have to be people of prayer. You know, Jesus, His disciples, for whatever reason, they couldn't cast out this, this Jewish man came with his demon-possessed son. Demon would throw him into the fire. The demon would throw him into the water and try to drown him. The man was at his wit's end. He was desperate. And, and he came to the disciples and the disciples could not cast the demon out. That's what the Bible says in Mark chapter 9. Jesus comes on the scene because he was a part when it happened. What's going on here? Well, I brought my son to your disciples to cast the demon out of him and they couldn't do it. And he says, oh, faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I suffer you? Bring him to me. And he rebukes the devil, the, the demons. The demons come out of him. They think the boy's dead. He's not. The Lord touches him, raises him up. He's fine. The demons are gone. The Lord's done a mighty work. He exercised his authority over the spiritual darkness. And he walked in that authority. Then later, when he's with the disciples, said, they said, why couldn't we cast him out? And he says, this kind. Evidently, there's other different kinds of demons. I'm not going to give a study on that. But he says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. You know what that says to me? Besides the importance of prayer, to me, I don't believe it was just, uh, okay, I've got to cast, there's a demon right on that street corner over there. That man's got a demon. I better pray before I get over there. I think it's more like, to me, what I gather from that is a lifestyle. You need to be a man of prayer. And you need to be a woman of prayer and fasting as God leads you to fast food or television or whatever He leads you to fast. Be that a lifestyle. You know, when Peter and John went to the temple that day to pray and they met the lame, lame man who was daily laid out there. They'd seen that man before. I, I'm, I'm almost, almost positive because he had been laid out there for 40 years. I believe they had seen him, but this day was different. And they exercised authority over the infirmity or the spirit of infirmity. We don't have any silver and gold, but what we do have, we're going to give you. They fastened their eyes upon him. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man was healed. I don't believe they just said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think let's go pray real quick. We're getting ready to, to heal this man. Nothing wrong with doing that. But I think they were walking with the Lord in prayer and a life of fasting and prayer. So that when God spoke, they recognized the voice of their good shepherd. And the Lord says, today I'm going to heal him. And he used them. He didn't use somebody else. He used those two men of prayer. They were on their way to prayer. Because that was their habit of prayer. You see? And so if we want to be used by the Lord and walk in this authority, then we have to be people of prayer. And I want to just close with some, some thoughts that I pray that would, would encourage you this morning. Prayer cannot simply be, for, for a believer, cannot be simply a luxury. It cannot be simply a rarity that if I'm in a bind, I'll pray. Now, I pray when I'm in a bind too, okay? We all do. But it needs to be a lifestyle. I'll say it again. He spoke that parable that men ought always, ought. It means there's a responsibility, right? Men ought to pray. They don't all, but they ought to. Men ought always to pray and not to lose heart or faint. 
And so it's not simply a luxury. It's not simply if I have time. Well, Lord, you know my schedule. You know how busy I am and how early I get up for work and, and my work schedule and so forth. And, and he's saying, I know it. I know exactly your work schedule. Okay? I'm calling you to be a man of prayer. I'm calling you to be a woman or a young person of prayer. It's not just when I feel like it or when I have time or in those moments of crisis, but it ought to be our habit, a spiritual habit, okay, where we're given uh, over to that. And in, a, in prayer, you're the, you know, the, the Lord sanctifies our desires and lines them up with His. He sanctifies our desires to where I'm not praying all over the place a bunch of things God doesn't want. I'm praying what God has for me and and what He has for my life. And so uh, there's one saint, you might help me remember, I can't remember, but there's one man of God that says, I've got so much to do in my life that if I didn't pray at least three or four hours a day, I'd never get it all done. We almost laugh at that. We're almost opposite. We're like, I got so much to do that I have very little time for prayer. He, he knew something. I have so much to do that if I didn't pray three or four hours a day, I'd never get it all done. Because if I'm praying like I'm supposed to be praying, do you think God will give me success and efficiency and so forth in the things that I need to get done? He will. But when you and I run around prayerless, trying to get all everything done, run around like a chicken with our head cut off, trying to get it all done, even good things, we're going to always be coming up short. I got behind. I didn't get everything done I needed to today. You understand what I mean? But when we pray and seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these other things are going to be added unto us. I want to just mention some people that uh, had these men of prayer in their lives or, or this evidence in their life. We've all heard of Charles Finney, the revivalist that came and was used so greatly in America, he had uh, a secret to his success. You've probably heard this. He had a friend, a Christian brother, that wherever Finney was going, let's say he's going to go preach in Boston uh, and go for revival services in Boston, he would have a man named Brother Nash, Daniel Nash, Christian brother of his that would go before him weeks before sometimes and start praying over that city praying for hearts to be soft, praying for ears to hear, praying for hearts to be ready to receive the gospel. And even while when Finney would come into town, and let's say he's in a big auditorium or wherever he's preaching, in the basement or in some other room or down the street in a little prayer closet, there's Brother Nash. He wasn't even at the services. He's crying out to God for souls. And Finney says that, that the success to this ministry is directly linked to this man and his prayer life, and his ability to touch heaven. We don't think that. So we think, well, that's just a great preacher. Everybody responded to him and gave their lives to Jesus. He knew better. And, and it says, Daniel Nash said this, I'm now convinced it is my duty and privilege and the duty of every other Christian to pray for as much of the Holy Spirit as came down on the day of Pentecost and a great deal more. My body is in pain, but I am happy in my God. I have only just begun to understand what Jesus meant when He said, all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believe that you shall have them and you'll have them. And so uh, he, he, he walked in, in this life of prayer and there was success 
that came from it. God wants us to be that way. He was just a human being, okay? But he knew how to pray and to touch God. Uh, St. Chadwick said, Our Lord rose before daybreak that he might pray. And not infrequently, he spent all night in prayer. And these days, there's no time to pray. It ought to be possible to give one hour of the 24 that he gave us back to himself. You know, it really should be when you, when you think about that like that. Uh, we see uh, Charles Spurgeon. He said the key to his success was in the boiler room underneath his church. He says that's where there was 24-hour prayer being made consistently. He's up there preaching at the time for church or having a Bible study, and non-ceasingly there was prayer being made in that boiler room below the church. People were tag-teaming and going in there and praying. We see it over and over. We see Peter when he was in prison. It says he was arrested, and they were intending after the holiday to bring him out and kill him. And but it says, but prayer was being made for him without ceasing. And the Lord opened the prison doors and he came out. He went to the place where his brothers and sisters were praying for him. The angel opened the door. We know the story. There's story after story. When when our son William, our oldest son, um, had a hole, he was born with a hole in his heart. I know I've shared this before, but the doctor, you know, every, they check him out and everything's fine, ready to go home. But they said, no, he can't go home today. He's got a, a pretty good size hole in his heart, about the size of a quarter. And for a little baby, that's a pretty big hole. Okay? He can't go home. He's going to have to get this checked out. So we stayed an extra day or so. And, um, and we met with a cardi- uh, pediatric cardiologist from Tulane. Some wonderful doctor. And he meets with them and says, yeah, it's a pretty good sized hole. Here's the x-ray of it. Um, it is nothing that we can do medically for it. It may never heal. He'll probably never be able to really play sports or be athletic or do anything like that. And so, you know, that's the doctor's report. But we started to pray. And we called people that we knew to pray. Christians that we had been singing and traveling around the country. We could call people all over the place. And we hung on to a verse from Ephesians that, that says that uh, unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all the ask or think according to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory. Lord, and we said, yeah, will y'all claim that scripture for us? I'm going to pray that God heals William's heart. So we have an appointment. We go back two months later and we're meeting with the same cardiologist. And he puts up the first x-ray, shows the hole in the heart. He takes another one that day from two months later and puts it up beside it and he scratches his head he's looking at the x-ray and he's looking back at us he said well, I don't know I can't explain it but uh it's gone the hole's gone he doesn't have a hole in his heart anymore sometimes these things just heal themselves you know and so he's we're like we know what happened our Lord answered our prayer and he played sports and he played you know all the kinds of stuff that God went on to do for him but y'all I just want to really close with this with this thought that again we could speak hours and hours and weeks and weeks on prayer it is that important but we it's it's our greatest weapon it's our greatest privilege but also the greatest weapon that we have in any type of of spiritual conflict and he uh, after the, all the armor of god is is listed you know the helmet of salvation and so forth and then it says Praying always with all supplication 
and prayer. That we ought to pray that way because y'all, our deliverance comes in prayer. It comes from our deliverer that we're praying to. If we need wisdom, we go to God. If any man lacks wisdom, he gives to all men liberally. He's the only wise God. If we need strength from, from the Lord, he's the almighty and we call upon the Lord and receive that. If we need peace in our hearts and lives, and we do, we need peace in our hearts and lives. We go to the Prince of Peace and, and He speaks to us and imparts that to our lives. If we need provisions, He is our provider, Jehovah Jireh. If we need safety uh, and assurance from God, it's safety and protection. He's a good shepherd who cares for His sheep. If we need forgiveness of sins, we come to Him who laid down His life for the sins of the world. And He forgives us. If we need rest for our weary souls, we come to the Lord of the Sabbath who gives us rest. And He imparts that to us. If we need justification that's really just in God's eyes, He's, the just, he's just in the justifier of them that believe in Jesus. We come in prayer. If we need true righteousness, we come to the Lord our righteous judge who imparts that to us through Christ. If we need mercy and grace, we come to Him who is the fullness of grace. And we receive that from the Lord in prayer. If we need truth in our life and life in our lives, we come to Him. He is the truth and the life. If we need uh, help in our time of distress, distress, we come to Him. He's a very present help in trouble. We call upon the Lord. Amen? If we need unconditional love, we come to Him and we receive it from the lover of our souls. The Bible calls Him. I'm going to close with this scripture from James chapter 5. We know this passage. I'm going to close with this scripture. James 5, verse 16. And we'll read down a few verses. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's just a statement. It's just a fact. If you're righteous, and we're all righteous by the blood of Jesus, okay? There's none righteous on their own. But if we're born again, He calls us righteous. The effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man just like us, subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. And Samuel Chadwick makes this comment about this passage. Elijah, he prayed and there was no rain. And when he did pray for rain, it came in floods. He prayed for life to come into the dead child of the widow, which, with whom he lodged. You know that story. During the drought. And the soul of the child returned. He prayed for fire from heaven and it fell as he prayed. He did not argue about prayer. He prayed. Praying solves the problems of prayer. And I just like that because you know what? Instead of discussing it and talking about it and saying, why well, pray? God knows everything anyway. He's going to do what He wants. And all the excuses not to pray. God's sovereign. And we sound we're so spiritual. We do that. God's sovereign. And He's going to do what He wants to do. You know what He wants us, he wants us to do? He wants us to pray. He wants us to call upon Him. Praying solves the problems of prayerlessness. He goes on to say, the sheer influence of a daily habit of prayer is incalculable. Calculable. Prevailing prayer makes men invincible. 
They who prevail in the secret place of the Most High cannot be beaten anywhere. You think about that. No weapons, no nothing, but I've been with Jesus. And I am fortified by the Lord. And you can walk out into a demon-filled world. A God that hates you and hates the God that we love. Filled with His Spirit and His power. And we're invincible. Invincible. We're going to be okay and protected until God's ready to call us home. He goes on to say, and I'm closing with this. Do you can play? The answering hand of God waits for the lifted hand of man. The answering heart of God waits for the lifted hand and prayer of man. He says the heart that answers, that's the Lord, always transcends the heart that cries. God's heart's always greater. We're children crying out to our Father. And He's waiting for us to lift up our hands. But couldn't He just give me what I, I needed? He can, but He wants us to pray. Because that puts a relationship here. I'm dependent upon You, Lord. And then when He gives it, I can thank Him. Lord, You gave it to me. It didn't just happen. You did this for me. And, and it, it strengthens our faith. I want you all to stand this morning. And I want us to be, and the Lord, more importantly, the Lord wants all of us, including myself, in this. He wants us to be people of prayer. If, there, if this church is going to be strong and be what God's called us to do in this day in which we live, if your family's going to be strong, if your own walk with the Lord is going to be strong and healthy, we have to be people of prayer. So Dee's going to play, and we're just going to begin to worship the Lord Take some time, maybe as, as this sermon, this message was being given, God convicted you of some things. Maybe your prayer life is good, but God has showed you it needs to be better. Maybe you don't have any type of prayer life to speak of, and God wants to begin to birth that in your life. You don't have to wait till you get older. You don't have to wait till six months down the road, till something happens. Today, start calling upon the Lord. Confess it to God and say, Lord, I pray, but I don't really pray. I don't pray consistently. I don't always pray. I pray when it's convenient. But God, you're not a God of convenience. You're the Lord. And you're the Lord of my life. And you're to have the first fruits of my life, not the leftovers. And let God begin to deal with you. Nobody's pointing a, convictor, a finger condemning you. If the Holy Ghost is convicting you, let Him do it. And let Him speak to you. Because not only does He convict us, He helps us. The Spirit Himself bears uh, a praise through us and helps us when we're weak and we don't know how to pray as we ought to with groanings that can't be uttered because He knows what's the will and the mind of the Lord. You say, Lord, I need help praying. I'm not much of a man of prayer and I need help. Do you think God will help you? Yes. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And He helped them. He taught them. So He's going to help you. He's going to meet with you. Amen? Let's begin to call upon the Lord. If you want to kneel there at your pew or at your seat, if God burdens your heart to, to go pray over someone else, do it. Please be obedient to the Lord. But before we run out today, let's take just some time with the Lord about our own prayer life. Let's call upon Him in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God.